Nick Chubb, not the running back, was a former merchant mariner who witnessed firsthand the inefficiencies of the maritime industry. After realizing how much he could help combat the challenges of innovation and data sharing, he founded and currently serves as the managing director for Theatus, a research and technology advisory firm to the maritime industry. It's a really fun conversation, so I hope y'all enjoy. Episode of Cyberly. Once again, we are here live from Manifest the Future of Logistics. And I have another special guest, Nick Chubb. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little about you. Awesome. Hi. Well, first off, <laughs> thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, really excited to be here. Uh, I'm Nick Chubb. I'm a um, former seafarer turned technology researcher, analyst. Um, so I've been working in the industry for about uh, 11 years now. Uh, kind of fell into tech after being at sea. Uh, and realized that actually there's some really exciting opportunities to bring digital technology into the maritime industry, which everyone kind of described as a bit archaic. Uh, and so, yeah, we started a company two and a half years ago doing that, and we've now grown to a um, small team of nine. We're all kind of ex-seafarers uh, who have a pretty good understanding of how the industry works, and we work with technology companies to help them uh, enter the maritime sector, and we work with maritime companies to help them get better at leveraging tech, because they're traditionally quite bad at it. <laughs> As far as like tech adoption in this industry, it has a long way to go, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as you know. Now, you mentioned seafarer. Is that the same, forgive my ignorance, is that the same thing as a merchant mariner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. merchant marine, merchant navy, um, commercial seafarer, yeah, all, all the same. So, I, I used to mainly drive oil tankers as a navigator, um, but I didn't. I only did it for four years, so I didn't go up to captain or anything like that. It was just a, just a navigator. What got you into wanting to be a merchant mariner or a seafarer? Great question. Um, I don't really know. Uh, so I, I, I actually had I had two options. I could have gone to university to do music, um, but I was a terrible musician. So decided that doing the kind of funded route, getting to travel, all those sorts of things would be better than um, going and then becoming a penniless musician. <laughs> well, do, do so, you have, I mean, I'm sure you get to see so many, because I've interviewed Merchant Mariners before, and they, they talk about all of the different ports that they yeah. get to, to make a stop at and hopefully get to enjoy the city. Do you have a favorite place that you stopped at? Yeah, probably for me, um, I would say Mailiao in Taiwan. Oh, wow. Because we, we were stopping at an oil terminal uh, and it was the sort of place that a tourist would just never, never go. Uh, oh. And so I, you kind of feel very, very lucky to go somewhere like that where you know you, you would just never get to go or never think to go as a, right. as a tourist. It's so, more like authentic experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although on that ship, I was on there for four and a half months and that was our only, the only time we got off. Wow. So uh, yeah, the kind of reality of it is that you see the inside of a lot of ports, you see a lot of blue <laughs> and that's kind of it. <laughs> Did you ever experience uh, rogue waves out of sea? Uh, the, the odd hurricane, but never a, never a rogue wave. No. I, those terrify me, so that's yeah. why I, I, I look okay. at YouTube videos yeah. of them. And so I'm like, well, that's not something I'm never going to do. <laughs> and now, how did you make the decision to transfer out of this seafarer life into more land-based living yeah. and join a tech team or, or start a tech team? Yeah, lo lots of reasons, really, I guess. I, I, I wanted to spend a bit more time at home. So, um, you know, the, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she was also at sea. And so for the first year we were together, I think we were apart for something like 11 months. And so we said, something's got to give, right? This isn't, this isn't going to work. So uh, we both came ashore at the same time. 
uh, I, I couldn't get a job in shipping. Uh, I just, you know, applied to all sorts of things and couldn't find anything. So I actually just fell into into sales in in tech. Nothing to do with shipping. Totally outside the industry. Um, and yeah, that was kind of when I realised oh, there's this really exciting opportunity to bring tech into shipping. So I kind of then started going back into shipping and started consulting, kind of in that space between tech and maritime. Um, and then. Yeah, eventually kind of got to the point where I thought, I thought we'd love to scale a bit of a team around this, um, and that, that's kind of where Theteus came from. And so, with your company, Theteus, correct? Theteus, yeah. Theteus. So where did that company name come from? <laughs> um, so, Theteus, or, or I think I'm butchering it, I think it's Thetis, uh, is the, a Greek goddess who had the gift of foresight. A Greek goddess of the sea who had the gift of foresight. Um, uh, and so it's kind of a play on that. Because uh, a lot of what we do is about looking, researching into what's, what tech's coming down the line, what, what's sort of coming in the future um, uh, to, to the industry. Uh, and so, but if you, if you search for Thetis, then everything about the Greek goddess comes up. So we added the U for SEO purposes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what does, it, what does your, your, your software do? Or, or is it a more of a consultancy? Tell us a little bit about the company. Yeah, a bit of both. So we, we have a technology intelligence platform. So it's kind of like a crunch base, but it's super, super niche down to, to shipping. Um, and that's really, I was a very frustrated Crunchbase user because you look at, you go on a Crunchbase and you look up shipping and you get everything from like last mile logistics to warehouse to stuff that actually goes physically onto ships and it's just super unhelpful. So we thought, well, can we make something that's really, really niche down? And that's what we did. It started as a spreadsheet um, and now it's more of a kind of SaaS platform. We, we charge a subscription for people to come on and they can basically search for interesting companies. Um, and then we have a team of analysts who use the data in that platform to, uh, to produce research. Um, and then we, we consult and do a couple of other things. So is but, it more like market research that yeah. you're providing to a specific niche audience? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how are yeah. you approaching, I guess, the, you know, the, the marketing you just mentioned, you know, for SEO purposes, yeah, that yeah. was the reason why you chose that, that business name. What about from your marketing approach? How are you getting the message out? To, to your target customers. So we, we publish a huge amount of research for free. Um, so you've, if you go to thetus.com, you'll see all sorts of different things. Um, you know, everything from looking at, you know, the shipping's role in the wider supply chain and how tech can perhaps ease some of the congestion problems we've seen recently, down to things like seafarer fatigue and how tech can help with seafarer wow. fatigue. So we, we just, we find the best thing to do is just constantly be churning out interesting research and that tends to mean that customers come to us um, rather than us having to go out to, to them. So yeah, no, it's, it's, good, it's good fun. Now, you mentioned uh, the, the, the seafarer and sort of, I guess, the life of, of, of being out on the sea constantly. Yeah. It plays a, a role in mental health, is, of course. Um, I think there are a lot of initiatives that are moving forward We're trying to get, I guess, better life balance, if that's possible, yep. for the seafarers that are out yeah, there. Yeah. Um, do you have any personal experience where, where you might be able to help you know, shed some light on, on the, I guess, the current state of emotions when you're out at sea and how maybe some of these companies can help? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I think to set some context, uh, being at sea, it, it's a bit like being in prison, <laughs> except there's no internet and no TV. So it's kind of like, it's a, it can be worse, uh, if you like. Um, so for example, one of the ships that I worked on, uh, which wasn't that long ago, we would get email once per day and we could send email once per day. And that was kind of it for wow. connection to the outside world. There was a satellite phone but it was super expensive to use so you'd maybe call home once a month 
Uh, and on that particular ship, I was the only native English speaker. Uh, and at the start of the voyage, there were, I think, 15 different nationalities on board. So it was actually really nice, really kind of multicultural experience, and everyone spoke English. By the time, by the end, um, there were only um, uh, Serbo Croats and Filipinos, and then I was the English person. Uh, and so kind of everyone just spoke to each other in their own languages and there was sort of me sat in the middle and um, and so it can be really it can be a really lonely experience you're away from family you're away from friends sometimes you won't get off the ship for months at a time um, and in the last what 18 months two years since the pandemic started we've had seafarers who normally would do like a nine nine ten month contract just being stuck on board because of border restrictions all that sort of stuff and so there's been people stuck on board for two years wow. um, and Equally, at the same time, there's people stuck at home who can't work because they can't get onto the ships. So it's, it's created a, it's been a real kind of crisis really the last few years. It's just starting to get better now, but it's it's still going, still ongoing. As far as like your research, do you provide research to, to help with that particular job role or is it more just all encompassing of more like the tech side of things? Yeah, we, we've done a lot of research on crew welfare and tech. Uh, and kind of how tech can support crew welfare and uh, there's some really interesting stuff sort of come onto the market you know we've we've um, we've seen for example new technology that can support uh, helping people to spot when they're fatigued because you often you'll be the only if you're navigating a ship you might be the only person on the bridge and so if you're overly fatigued there's a danger you might fall asleep all of that sort of stuff safety issues so, I imagine yeah yeah exactly yeah and we've run we've run innovation programs looking at how um, startups can support co big companies like um, uh, Shell, for example, um, that we ran a program with alongside in Marsat. Um, that was all about how we can use tech to improve safety on board. Um, wow. Really, really interesting stuff. Uh, and we ended up kind of implementing a smart fatigue management system on board one of their tankers, um, which was cool. Yeah, yeah I, that's, I, that's a whole other aspect of the job that I didn't really, I, I, I expected from like a mental health perspective that yeah. you know you, you want to obviously address it as best you can out yeah, at yeah. sea but if there's other safety I guess monitoring mechanisms that, that you can instill as well into different processes it probably results in you know less insurance cases and uh, overall well-being of the, the crew that's yeah that's I mean that that's the theory I, I the reality is it's a really difficult area because you're so it's a 24-7 operation and that absolutely most of the roles on board are kind of safety critical um, but you're also in people people live on board as well so you're also in their homes and so like you don't want to do anything that's too invasive um, uh, and, and we you know we often see you know some tech come up that is just would be super super invasive for an you know an employer wouldn't do it at home so why would you do it on a ship where people live uh, for up to a year at a time and so it's always kind of like this fine balance between supporting people and making sure they can stay safe and then being kind of like a big brother type we're watching you <laughs> and i'm sure your experience probably helps like as a yeah. fast merchant mariner you probably be like ah that's probably not a good fit and that, that's why most of our team are former seafarers so everyone on the research and delivery team we've all been to sea on commercial ships um, we all have a really un good understanding of what works and what doesn't and so when we get approached for a project we can say maybe that needs rethinking yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe come back and yeah. readjust a little bit now as far as you know sort of I guess the state of, of maritime the state of the yeah. industry obviously there's, it's sort of went mainstream over the last yeah, yeah, two years yeah. and so you have more and more people that are interested within the, 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 the industry itself but how are you guys I guess approaching some of the, the new age interest versus some of the legacy systems that are, are in place you, know, you mentioned during your panel that there was some data sharing 
issues yeah. that, that could be alleviated. T tell us, that. can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So. So I think, yeah, on, on the one hand, it's super exciting that the industry's kind of got to a point in the last 12 months where all of a sudden maritime has become kind of front and center as part of the supply chain, whereas previously it's been almost invisible. Uh, and I think in some ways that's really, really helpful uh, uh, because it, it actually kind of helps to, for example, is issues like the cr crewing crisis, we can kind of raise the visibility of all of that stuff. Um, but I think it also exposes a lot of where maritime as an industry is really bad. And I think collaboration generally, but data sharing is, is, is definitely one of those areas. I mean, we're, we're kind of only, we're only just getting to the point across the industry where people are happy to share safety data. So, um, uh, which feels like a no-brainer. Um, uh, it, it's kind of it's an area where everyone should be very very happy to share. But it, just building up the right kind of digital infrastructure to do that. All of the, um, uh, you know, to, to, to actually be able to capture and then share that data is, it's an investment. Um, and so things like more commercially sensitive data, like routing and scheduling data, um, we're still a long way off hmm. kind of getting to that point. Is that something that the companies don't necessarily want to share or they just haven't started that, that process of, of proper data collection? I think it's probably more the latter, hmm. yeah. I, I think the, the, the pandemic was a massive accelerant for kind of digital transformation in the industry. Um, but it's kind of taken, for, for a lot of shipping companies, uh, it's gone from, you know, just having fully on-premises IT infrastructure to migrating to like Microsoft 365. Wow. And that's like a big deal, you know, for the shipping industry, that's a big deal. That's kind of where we're at. And so- We've still got a long way to go. We've still got a long way to go, exactly, yeah. I, I think for, a lot of shipping companies, you know, if you went to speak to someone in operations, they wouldn't necessarily know what an API was. You know, it's that, that kind of level of, of education. Um, there are definitely quite a few out there that do and, and are really forward leaning, but um, uh, there's kind of like a long tail in the industry of very small operators. They might be family owned, um, uh, uh, you know, small fleet of ships. And so the investment required to, you know, move everything over to the cloud, start exposing APIs, hiring a small engineering team, uh, that's kind of that's a, that's a lot to ask for. So, with with your experience and now building a tech company w within the maritime space, if I could give you a magic wand and you could fix two or three big problems within the industry, what would you fix? Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I know it's on the spot. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, speaking as a as a seafarer, fixing the crewing issues would be would be wonderful. Um, I mean, we could literally talk the entire day about about crewing and all of the number of issues in there. Uh, but, but certainly, you know, some of the issues that have arisen in the last 12 months around people not being able to get home, not being able to see their families, um, that's been really tough and it's had a genuine, you know, real kind of human impact. Like we've had huge spikes in suicide at sea, all that sort of wow. stuff. So if we can fix that, great. Um, happy days. Um, the next really big problem that needs to be fixed uh, is obviously, and it's the same everywhere, decarbonisation is... You know, it, it, we're an industry that entirely, at the moment, runs on fossil fuels, apart from a very small number of exceptions. Uh, it's, I would say, both the biggest problem, but also the biggest opportunity that exists in this industry. I mean, it's just the scale of what needs to be done um, to get us to a point where we're even a kind of 50% reduction in carbon intensity across the industry is enormous. Are there any programs that you know of that are, are trying to address either one of those issues? So. Uh, yeah, so on, on, on decarbonisation, we're kind of at, at super early days. Uh, so there's, there's a few. So the International uh, Chamber of Shipping 
has recently launched a program uh, that they're proposing at the UN level, at the IMO, which is the kind of UN body for shipping, that would be basically a, a, a carbon levy. So every tonne of um, fossil fuel bunkers are sold, something like 50 cents or uh, maybe a dollar, I can't remember the exact number, would go into an R&D fund. And then that would fund the research and development required to create carbon neutral fuels, fuels or carbon neutral engines. There's also the Sea Cargo Charter, which was major cargo uh, interests. So cargo owners in the bulk space have all come together to say they're now going to start um, measuring and then publishing their emissions data from sort of cargo discharge to cargo discharge, uh, which will create a level of transparency we've not really seen in the industry ever. Um, and Especially so that's, when only a handful of companies sort of control the, the majority of the market, if I understand correctly. Yeah, I so say the, the, the bulk space is a little bit different. So the, the container space, you're absolutely right, there's 10 companies have, I think, 85% of the slots. Um, the bulk space, uh, there is still some very large interests um, who, who own a lot of the ships uh, and also obviously a, a lot of the cargo. But and there's just a huge number of really small um, shipping companies that might have somewhere between two and five ships. Uh, and so kind of corralling all of that um, together is really, really difficult. So the fact that these charters have come out and said, we're going to uh, all come together and, and actually start publishing this data, uh, will kind of force everyone to, to take some action. So that's quite exciting, but it's still real baby steps. And so what could they possibly do? I mean, I, I know there, there's sort of the, the argument right now of the, the, the bigger versus the smaller ships, because the smaller ships can, can I guess, sail faster and get into some of the smaller ports. Um, but what is what can a ship realistically do to, to cut their carbon if they're, they're run off fossil fuels? Yeah, so um, it's a great question. <laughs> so I, I think when you when you look at the, the question of decarbonization, I think if we go all the way out to like 2050 and beyond, uh, there are fuels that are being experimented on now, for example, like green ammonia, that can be carbon neutral, that in theory could power ships, but a lot of R&D required, and then a lot of infrastructure is going to be required to actually, you know, you want those fuels to be in all the ports that you need them to be in around the world. So that's going to take decades. Um, I think if you, you, you come back a little bit closer to where we are today with uh, ships that, that are um, uh, running on fossil fuels, there's actually a huge amount of inefficiency in the kind of global maritime value chain, if you like. Uh, and so depending on whose research you read, it can be sort of anywhere between 20 to 30% of a, of, a, of a ship's fuel consumption is actually wasted just through how the ship is operated. So if you, you, know, you look out of somewhere like Long Beach at the moment, there's 200 ships anchored. They've all gone at 12 to 15 knots over the Pacific Ocean and they're waiting for two weeks. And so being able to slow those ships down because they know they're going to have to wait um, will massively help to reduce fuel, fuel consumption across the entire industry. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of like a network effect to it. That said, uh, it's really, really difficult to achieve for all sorts of reasons. The tech is one, and another is just um, that the incentives that exist across the industry um, between charters, between vessel owners, and between and vessel operators. So you could have three separate companies looking after a ship. Uh, they're not quite lined up to, for reducing fuel. So there's some structural changes that have to take place in the industry beyond that, the tech. I, I, you're exactly right because I think that that's sort of the safe assumption over the last couple of years, especially as it, these in maritime in particular, or the ports in particular, are, are getting a lot of criticism for, for not operating faster, but 
there's certain limitations and shippers aren't open 24 seven yeah. and you know you, you have a shortage of your retention issue with drivers and, yeah, yeah. and all different kinds of issues where sort of the entire supply chain is operating in a silo when there could be yeah. more collaboration and I think yeah, that, yeah. that was sort of the ethos of, of your, your talk here at Manifest. All right, uh, Nick, where can, where, where can we expect or where would your goals be for the, you and the company within a couple of years? Or maybe oh, wow, just a year, because I know it's tough to, to sort of predict <laughs> anything in the future right now, uh, yeah. but, but how about, you know, maybe a year from now? Sure. So we, we uh, today we're, we're quite a small global team. Um, we want to double that team in the next 12 months or so. Uh, we, we're constantly kind of on the lookout for, for talented people to kind of join us from, a, from the research angle, so I'm just going to put that out to everyone. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we, we, we're doing really, really interesting work, really interesting projects. Um, we want to do more of it, um, and particularly um, we want to, this is part of the reason I'm here at Manifest, is that we want to kind of look a little bit beyond the maritime industry, go beyond those silos that you're talking about, and start looking at things like energy and logistics and um, continue some of the work we've been doing in maritime in, in those sectors as well. Yeah, I'm sure it would help a lot of your research papers as well. So it sounds like exactly. you, you have yeah, a great yeah. system going on and a bright outlook on the future. Where can folks follow more of your work and, and, and your company's work? Uh, yeah, so uh, Thetius.com is the best place to go. Um, that's where all of our research gets published and all of the um, research analysts who are much smarter than I am that work on our team uh, publish all of their research. Uh, huge amount of free stuff on there. Um, or find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm uh, Nick Chubb on LinkedIn or NA Chubb on Twitter. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. And, awesome. and enjoy Thank the rest you. of Manifest. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. And if you did like it, I would love if you could rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. It'll take you like two minutes of your time, but it helps a ton for a creator like me to be able to show that review like a badge of honor. And it also helps the show get discovered by others. If you'd like to see more of my work, head on over to digitaldispatch.io. I've got some new content collections under the resources tab for folks who are freight brokers, truckers, carriers, freight agents, and also a best of collection for how to fix your website and how to fix your marketing. It's all completely free. And again, that tab is under resources over on the digitaldispatch.io website. The website also includes some links to our social media accounts, along with my products and services, in case any of that is of interest to you. Once again, my name is Blythe Bremley, and I thank you for sharing your attention with me today. Until next time, have a magical day.